Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's edition of Midweek in the Word, presented by Faith Bible Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. My name is Jared Erke, and I am the technical coordinator here at the church, and very happy to be pinch-hitting for your regular for your regular host, Pastor Brad Myers. Uh, Normally on this podcast, Pastor Brad takes some time to dialogue with our preaching pastor, Pastor Tom Rempel, but Pastor Tom was unable to join us today, so you get me. But don't worry, you still get Brad too. (laughs) Speaking of Brad, I'm pleased to welcome our adult ministries pastor, Pastor Brad Myers, to the podcast. Welcome, Brad. Hi, Jared. Uh, Thanks for the introduction. Uh, we'll, We'll do our best to sub in for Tom this week. We will do our best indeed. Um, In case you're new to us, Faith Bible Church has been taking a journey through the entire Bible this year. Um, We're calling the series Route 66, Snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. Every sign points to Jesus. Along the way, we are finding out more intimately who God is, more about us, His created mankind, and how the entire Bible ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Brad examined one of the most famous kings of Israel from the book of 2 Chronicles, the boy king, King Josiah. So Brad, let's just jump right into this. From our study of King Josiah, what did we learn about God on Sunday? You know, so, uh, Tom, Tom's mentioned it again and again uh, on the podcast, but uh, the, the reality is it keeps showing up, especially in the Old Testament. And we, we saw again... Uh, that God is sovereign, you know, especially in world affairs, um, but also in individual events in our lives. You know, Josiah's reign, we see the way international politics plays into that with ultimately his death to the king of of Egypt and how God is sovereignly moving these affairs in the world, um, but also how how God really is involved in Josiah's life. The the second thing I would say is that, that really hit me from the life of Josiah was the reality that God really desires relationship with mankind, you know, with with us. And we've been seeing that all the way from Genesis, you know, after the fall and, and mankind's rejection of God. But it, it just really struck me from the life of Josiah that that God wants to be wholeheartedly, humbly sought by his people. And and he will bless those those that do that and, and seek him. As as Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14 said in the message, um, you will see when you when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. You know, um, and that's 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 the Lord's desire. You know, for us. Mm-hmm. And so, from the study of King Josiah, what did it reveal about man or us? That was an interesting one for me. In some ways, you know, Josiah's life is typified by by how he didn't behave as his father and earlier kings did. Uh, which which kind of shows that our hearts tend to go the opposite direction as well. And so the first thing uh, would be that we we so easily get distracted by idols in our lives. You know, Josiah tore down the idols. Josiah focused his attention on seeking the Lord uh, rather than what his father and his forefathers had done. I'm getting distracted by the idols. And I, I think that condition, though, that we tend to think it's a little bit removed because we don't have physical metal and wooden idols. You know, we don't have the ashram poles and all, all that kind of stuff that, that King Josiah literally addressed. 
in so many ways, we, we still have these idols standing in our hearts and our lives um, in much the same way that the kings of Israel did. And so just that reminder of how easily our hearts develop idols, especially from the good things that God puts in our lives. But second, secondarily, I, I just found it an encouragement uh, to look at Josiah's life. And, and it's, it's a reminder that, that the course for our lives isn't dependent on our upbringing. You know, and in some ways, both in a positive and a negative way, there's a tendency to take for granted a good upbringing in a godly family, you know, and think we can rely on that. And, and even some that would, that would want to rely on that for the source of their salvation. And that's, that's not the case. On the other side, you know, Josiah didn't have a godly role model. He didn't grow up in a godly household. He didn't have a father who, who could show him how to walk in the way of the Lord. And yet, um, as a result of you know, his, his heart and affections for God, he really lives this, this amazing life of, of faithful obedience to God. And so it's, it's a good reminder of the fact that there are no second generation Christians. You know, um, each one of us has to, has to make that call one way or the other for ourselves. Um, but especially in the, in the challenging way, um, that, that, we, we don't have to become exactly what we saw in our, in our families as we were raised. Mm-hmm. And so how would you say that the story of, or the study of King Josiah pointed us to Christ? That one, you know, that one really, really stuck out to me as, as we wrap up the book of Second Chronicles with just a few kings after Josiah, which are all rather short reigns and, and fairly anticlimactic. Um, so Josiah stands as the last good king um, in Second Chronicles in the line of Judah, um, and yet Judah Judah still um, still is destroyed. And I think it was just a good reminder that um, the salvation of Judah and the world wasn't possible even for Josiah, as as much as he tried to do. And it and it really causes us to look forward to Christ um, and look to the King who can really answer the questions both of the world and our hearts address the issue of sin, address the issue, the real heart of the issue of idolatry. You know, though Josiah was able to, to, to bring about a degree of conformity externally um, to the appropriate worship of God, the only one who can finally satisfy our hearts and, and bring us into correct relationship with God is Christ, you know, the king who comes then in the book of Matthew following Second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move along now to our discussion topic for today. Um, Just a brief review. You and Pastor Tom talk a lot about the COMA method for studying Scripture. Can you please quickly remind us what COMA stands for? Yeah, Tom Tom has has brought this up on a number of occasions, so I appreciate the reminder. Uh, For those of you, if you haven't heard, um, COMA stands for C, Context. Or, or what's going on? Like I said, we've we've had some podcasts on that subject of of both in the text and and uh, in the the historical situation. What's going on around um, the text we're looking at? So that's C context. O is observation, uh, trying to just lay out one step at a time what we're seeing before we jump to meaning. Before we jump to try to interpret, we have to see what's actually there, and it, it helps keep us from jumping to the wrong conclusions too early. Uh, so C-O-M is for meaning. Uh, that's where we develop the process of taking what we've observed, taking what we know about the context, 
and and synthesizing it down into into a principle. What what was the author of this passage trying to say? First and foremost, to the original audience, but then by implication and principle for us as well. And then A, so C O M A stands for application, uh, which which is then what what is the outworking of this? What what is the implication of the first three steps that we've done? And that's really the coma method of trying to follow that sequence in our in our study and preparation. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so since the first podcast or the first episode of this podcast, we focus primarily on coma's first three steps: the context, observation, and meaning. Mm-hmm. So this so this week for the first time, we would like to explore the last step: application. So while this may be what most people think of as the quote-unquote easiest step in biblical interpretation, I also find that it isn't limited to what people often intuitively think. So, so Brad, this may go a little without saying, but what do we mean by biblical application? Yeah, I, you know, you're, you're on there because we, we tend to simply think in terms of what are we supposed to do as a result of reading Scripture? Um, especially kind of in our, in our daily devotions, what, what would we do? What are we supposed to apply? We, we think in those terms, but I would, I would define application just a little bit differently um, than, than that. Uh, because I think I would define application more as uh, the current significance of the text's meaning. It's, it's more a matter of the transformative impact on our lives, not just, and not to the exclusion of, but not just what we should go out and do in our lives as a result of the text we read um, each day or each occasion. Okay. So how is this different from the other steps of coma, particularly meaning? Yeah. Um, we, we introduced these concepts a little bit, right? So, so you've got the context and observation, which are, which are really more of preparation steps. They're meant to get us moving in the right direction, thinking the right things, um, and to get us to the correct interpretation, the correct meaning of the passage. So by considering the context, we avoid certain errors of misunderstanding what the author's writing. Um, by, by just observing first, we, we prevent ourselves from jumping to wrong conclusions uh, too early that could lead us off the right track. And, and then we get into the meaning uh, where, where that kind of develops the universal principle that would be relevant for all people at all times, you know, things like God's sovereignty in, in creation, things like God's love or mercy, kind of those bigger principles um, that would be just as impactful to the Israelites thousands of years ago as they are to us today. And those three steps then bring us to application, which is a little different because the application then puts us in our current time and place under that principle or meaning of the text and asks us what the specific specific relevance is to our lives. So context and observation are a lot, are really preparation steps. Meaning uh, has this universal principle and, and the text will have a, a specific, you know, one meaning that the, the author was trying to say, but then that can branch off into a whole lot of different areas of application and how that principle comes into contact with our lives individually. Mm-hmm. And so you touched on this already a little bit, but like you said, most often we think of application in terms of what we should do, but you're saying there are other ways to think about application? 
and you've already mentioned it, but can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think I think it's worth looking at at one of the key passages we tend to go to on terms of application and, and how the word affects our lives. And that's Second Timothy three, fourteen through seventeen. Um, this is probably a familiar passage to many, uh, but I'll just go ahead and read it. He, you know, Paul writing to Timothy says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then this is maybe the most familiar part. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In that passage, you know, Paul is talking about the implications and the effect of scripture. I mean, we talk about inspiration there, that it's from God, but he also talks about the effects it has on our lives and how it should shape the believer so that ultimately the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And he notes a few things there that I think are worth noting because he talks about what what Timothy needed to know and, and understand. They're right at the beginning. He talks about continuing what you have learned. Well, the implication then is one of the things that the word is going to have an effect on our lives is there are things we just need to understand. We have to understand and know the truth of the gospel. We have to understand who God is, you know, God's attributes, things like that. Secondarily, he says you have you've both learned and have firmly believed. He takes it another step and 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 goes to what what Timothy needs to believe, what he needs to embrace. So we can know something academically, but not actually have embraced it and believed it personally. And so he says, not only do you need to understand things from Scripture, you also need to believe and embrace things from Scripture. Then maybe the most, the most common thing that we're familiar with down in verse 16, Scripture being profitable for teaching, again, going back to what we need to know, but also for reproof or for correction, for instruction on what to do and how to live. But he also says, for training in righteousness, this idea of being trained in in the right way to think, the right way to, um, I, I would say, desire, you know, so so kind of the the right um, affinities and the right desires to have in our heart. Up at, up at the beginning, in, in verse ten, he talked about how you've followed my teaching, my conduct, the aim of my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. These character desires that really motivate. Um, the Paul, or Paul in this passage. And so I think it's, it's appropriate to look at the things we need to know or understand, uh, the things we need to believe or embrace, uh, sometimes the things we need to do and practically apply, um, but also the things we need to desire in our lives as well, all, all under this one kind of category of application from Scripture. So this week in the message, you seem to focus more on that aspect of desire. So I'd like to explore that a little bit. Um, what do we mean specifically by a desire application? I, I would say that, that first and foremost, um, our reading of God's word should help us see God for who he really is, should give us a greater view of who God is and should stir in our hearts a hunger to know him more. Um, you know, I think of Psalm 42, uh, verses 1 and 2 kind of are an example. Um, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God, for the living God. Uh, this idea that David's heart was, was, was famished in this desire to know God. And I think that that theme plays itself out in Scripture. 
And, and secondarily, that hunger to know God should then feed a secondary desire to become more like who we have beheld. You know, I mentioned in, in, in the message that we become what we behold. You know, humans were naturally worshipers and we become more like what we fixate our eyes on. So as we, as we develop this desire and this hunger for God through his word, um, it also should result in some things that we desire to become more like God. And here I think of Psalm 1, uh, you know, talking about, you know, blessed is the man who doesn't sit in the, um, let, let me actually read it, is, is he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, you know, these actions and attitudes. But in contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So as a result of this hunger for God, there's also this, this hunger for God's word. And so a desire application targets more the affections of our hearts and what we should long for, what we should seek to become. And so how did you, how did you come to the conclusion that desire was the key in Josiah's story? Yeah, I was, I was, I was reading it. It was, it was really fascinating, the things that kept coming up for me. And it really came down to two things. The first was that all through the book of Second Chronicles, but First Chronicles, you know, the whole, the whole book, the emphasis is on restored worship and restored temple worship. You know, the people coming back from exile and the emphasis being on this need to restore worship of God at the temple. Um, so that was the first one is that this, this worship, this desire for God is just the core of what the books of Chronicles talk about. But secondarily, in, in the individual passage, talking about Josiah, we saw that, that he did not turn aside or did not look away from God, that he began to seek God, or the God of David, his father, at a young age, that he repairs the house of the Lord again, worship, focus on God's worth and who he is. He, he inquired of the Lord. You know, we talked about that in, in, in the sermon. Then there's this negative thing of the people that they have forsaken or turned away from the Lord. Um, and so it just it just keeps coming up, you know, even even in in chapter 35, where we're talking about the Passover and Josiah makes all of these personal con- contributions uh, for the Passover sacrifices. And, and I can't help but think of, you know, Matthew six, where Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And this idea that uh, what what Josiah was doing is he was really turning his gaze toward God. He was really seeking a relationship uh, with God and desiring to know him more. And that led to so many other applications, things he did in his life. But first and foremost, it starts us by talking about who he sought, you know, at age eight or at age 16. I mean, he began to seek after God and that really set the course for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. So in that vein, uh, the vein of seeking, what do you think are some steps we can put into practice to pursue this or other desire applications? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny, uh, cause that's, that's kind of talking about the, the do aspect, uh, as well. And it's, it's interesting cause we, we can develop habits, you know, we can develop habits in our life. We can develop normal rhythms of reading the Bible and praying and some things like that, that are good things to do, but we can't ultimately change even our own hearts, you know, in, in the situation of Josiah's life, uh, and so we look at it and we go, you know, you think of the passage where it talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Know that it is both and, and that it is God who works in your heart as well, you know, talking about that there. And so so there's this, this kind of reality that sanctification is both both an effort of our part and also an effort of God and the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. 
So I, so I would recommend, I just simply put and practically, I would recommend a couple of things. Once you've identified a desire that you need to cultivate in your heart, the first is prayer. You know, it may seem simple, but uh, we got to ask God to do what only he can do, you know, and pray that he would specifically stir those desires in our hearts. Uh, You know, we can't make ourselves love people. You know, we can do the right thing in spite of not not having affection or, or love for them, which is which is appropriate for us to do. But God has to stir that desire for for loving that person in our hearts. God has to God has to stir a patience, you know, that's consistent. You know, the the fruit of the spirit. You know, think of that from the book of of a of Galatians, talking about the fruit of the spirit. These are things that the Holy Spirit produces in us, and so we can pray that God would would stir those things. The fruit of the spirit: is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those kind of desire things. Uh, so start off by asking God. You know, to do that and to stir that in our hearts. But secondarily, I would really encourage um, meditation, especially on scripture. Um, I can't help but think of, I've mentioned the book Habits of Grace by David Mathis in the past. Uh, he, he mentioned something about in the chapter, bringing the Bible home to your heart. And I just think it's good. He says, meditating on God's word shapes our soul. Sometimes it yields immediate and specific points of application. Embrace them when they come. But be careful not to let the drive for specific applications alter the focus of our devotions from astonishment and to seek and seeking to have your soul happy in the Lord. Coming to the scripture to see and feel makes for a drastically different approach than primarily coming to do. The Bible is gloriously for us, but it is not mainly about us. We come most deeply because of whom we will see, not for what we must do. And so this idea of just meditating and dwelling on the truths of the gospel, I think begins to stoke the fire of the affections of our hearts. You know, we can't ultimately ultimately ignite the fire, but what we can do is we can kind of throw kindling against the fire um, that the Holy Spirit can stir and develop those things in our hearts. So, so I would just encourage, you know, pray for those things. You know, and meditate on the realities of the gospel and uh, and let that grow our affection both for God and for, for being more like him. Mm-hmm. So do you have any final thoughts on this before we wrap this up? That's a good question. Um, it, it's, you know, I think, I think my encouragement to people especially is we, we like, we like self-help, you know, in, in America, we like the five-step plan. We like, something we can do and, and, and some action we can take a hold of. And those things are good. And there's, there's plenty in scripture that are practical things to do. I, you know, I even mentioned a number in the message that are kind of implications of this primary desire on Josiah's part. But I would encourage us, you know, to think about these other areas of application as well, um, especially this idea of desire um, and, and consider that for ourselves. And then secondarily, be, be patient, you know, be patient. The journey of faith is a long journey. Um, it's not. It's not made overnight. There's days that we feel like we're growing a lot. And there's days that it feels like it's going a little slower. And especially in these areas of desire, uh, give it time uh, to develop. A lot of times, um, I mean, we can take big steps forward, but a lot of times God doesn't just all of a sudden make us the most patient person in the world. It's a slow growth over a long time. So, so be patient you know, and, and wait on the Lord and, and recognize that, that God has promised, uh, that he's started a good work. He will bring it to completion. Um, and, and, and give it time over the course of your journey, uh, for these desires to develop. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much for your thoughts on that, Pastor Brad. Um, let's turn our focus now to next weekend's message. Uh, Pastor Tom will be examining the prophet Jeremiah, correct? <laughs> yes, yes, he will. Yes, yes. So he's not here to give us the sneak preview. So we're going to kind of just help have, uh, what am I saying here? We're going to turn to you to be the mediator between us and Tom, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> there you go. I guess. So I know you've kind of spoke with Tom regarding his upcoming sermon this week, um, and you discussed the uh, what he is most looking forward to. Yeah. When I was, when I was in touch with Tom earlier, I think the biggest thing that he said uh, that he's really looking forward to in, in Jeremiah and really the book, the book of Lamentations as well, um, is, is, is finding that the gospel connection there, you know, cause we have, we have these two really mournful books of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet and Lamentations or lamenting the fall of of Judah and Jerusalem, where destruction and disaster fills most of the text, um, but there is still hope and repentance offered. Um, we will be introduced to David's righteous branch, uh, who will come to be the good shepherd that his people need in the book of Jeremiah. So I, I think Tom's most looking forward from what he was saying uh, to making that gospel connection and to seeing the hope and the repentance offered in, in addition to some really strict judgments in the book of Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. So how about interpretive questions for this weekend that you think he's uh, uh, working on the most or wrestling with the most? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he mentioned not so, not so much an interpretive question as, as how to convey so much of this deeply emotional and personal content in so little time. You know, I know maybe to our listeners, it may not seem like 45 minutes goes by quickly in a sermon, but I know for those of us that are preaching, it always feels like it just flies by and you've got all these chapters in Jeremiah and Lamentations and you've got these, these deeply mournful poems and personal stuff for Jeremiah. And I think Tom's really wrestling with how does he try to convey that much, uh, not just content, but that much emotion in, in such a short period of time. It, it certainly flies by for us when we're sleeping, but other than that, <laughs> maybe go. not as much. There you go. We, we aim to please. <laughs> yes. That's, this is... yes. Yes. Some of the most restful time of my life, Sunday mornings. Now I'm <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding, sir. Totally kidding. Um, so the final question for this weekend's message, how do you think Tom would have us prepare our hearts? Yeah, Tom. Tom didn't specifically speak to this when I was talking to him. Um, but, but my guess and, and my thoughts, having read Jeremiah and Lamentations, are uh, I would encourage our listeners to really come prepared to witness a God that is both far more zealous for his holiness than we often realize um, and far more merciful than we deserve. You know, the prophets really speak to that in amazing ways, and specifically the prophet of Jeremiah, um, that God is really zealous for for his holiness and for his his glory and he's also way more merciful uh, than a lot of times we tend to think and give him credit for and I, I think I think the story of Jeremiah will bring that out this week 
Sounds great. Looking forward to that very much so. Um, and so that's all she wrote for this weekend's episode. Um, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, remember, if you're following along with our weekly reading, this week read Jeremiah chapters 1, 38, and 43. And as always, if you have ever if you ever have any questions that you that come up while you're reading, we would love to hear from you. So do reach out to us if you have if you have something on your mind. Um, if you're looking for more information, we highly recommend you check out an article from the Gospel Coalition titled Eight Questions to Help You Understand and Apply the Bible by Matthew Harmon. And we will link that um, in the podcast, in this um, weekend's episode description. Um, it'll be on the website too, so check that out. Um, the church leadership here wants you to know that they will be praying for you as you apply the Word of God in your life this week. And we hope you join us again here next week on Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.